This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 26th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. A major global car maker shut down production after a suspected cyber attack. And we'll have the details on what that could mean to you. A startup electric vehicle company is having difficulty meeting expectations. So much more on that coming up, too. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about something we are both passionate about, namely cars. We enjoy sharing our thoughts with you and with each other. And Chris, uh, share some thoughts. How are things this week? Share some thoughts. Things are going well, Jack. Finally getting some sunny weather here in Maine makes me think that uh, the snow will melt eventually, although right now it's probably a a false hope, but uh, how are things on your side of the world? Yeah, I think as we get into March, maybe it is a false hope in uh, <laughs> in Maine. Uh, we've had nice weather in Southern California, but we typically have nice weather here and uh, had some fun uh, past week. So I'm hoping always to have fun and drive some cars that people are interested in. Also to talk to people that listeners are interested in. And we have a great guest uh, this week, uh, Steve Kosowski is the manager of long-range strategy and planning at Kia Motors America. I guess it's just Kia America these days. I think they've taken motors out of their name. As you know, Chris, uh, Kia has taken the first step in a uh, big new initiative to introduce a bunch of EVs. So I talked to Steve about that on the the recent EV6 drive, and um, I think everybody will uh, learn something from that interview. He's an interesting guy. In the road test uh, segment, Chris, uh, what were you driving this week? I drove the Jeep Grand Cherokee L, Jack, and as you know and many may know, that's their first uh, three-row Grand Cherokee. Uh, quite a luxurious vehicle. I can't wait to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, I think they've done a nice job with this, but we, we, we will get the full report in a later segment in the show. I was driving the 2022 GMC Sierra 1500 Limited Denali. I had to take a breath in the midst of that name. Uh, We took a road trip uh, to the low desert here in Southern California. We have both high desert and low deserts here in Southern California for unknown reasons. Well, I guess God figured that out, but uh, we had a chance to do that. Uh, But before we do anything else, we're going to be bringing you some of the most important auto-related news from around the world. So stay with us. We're going to tell you about that cyber attack next. So stay with us right here on America on the Road. Thanks for being with us. Welcome back to America on the Road. It's Jackie Radwan. It's Teague with you, and thanks so much for being with us. We love chatting with you about cars. Thanks so much for being with us. And uh, news time uh, in this segment, and uh, some kind of scary news, I think. Uh, Toyota is fending off what it believes to be a cyber attack, actually on one of its suppliers, but it has uh, forced it to suspend domestic factory operations. This is domestic Japan factory operations which limit the production, they're going to lose about 13,000 cars of output uh, each day that they uh, cease production here, wondering what's going on with the cyber attack and and worrying about that. I mean, these kind of things that just come out of the blue and you're not quite sure where they came from or who they can be attributed to, 
Uh, that's scary stuff, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, you know, uh, in a past life, I worked at a bank, and when these things happened, which only happened once while I was there, uh, as you point out, even that is a small community bank. This is nowhere near the scale of, of Toyota, but it does. It takes a lot of time to track it back and make sure that all your uh, systems are secure again, and then make sure that you can resume operations without problems. So, um, I guess it'll be seen if they end up going further than a day. Although I guess their their workday is about to start soon, so uh, we'll we'll probably learn pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, some are connecting it to uh, sanctions on Russia over the uh, invasion of Ukraine and uh, Japan's uh, connection with that. Japan has uh, joined a lot of other countries in blocking Russia from uh, doing some international banking, uh, an important sanction. We're just wondering about uh, whether there's a connection here or not. I mean, uh, maybe it's something that's just a failure or maybe it is something totally nefarious that uh, comes from Russia. It's really hard to say at this point. Yeah, I think they've got some investigating to do, but uh, you know, this is a big deal for Toyota. I'm reading this is a third of its global production that was that is shut down here. So uh, hopefully they get it figured out soon. Yeah, this is a multi-million dollar, if not a billion dollar problem, no matter where it came from. And uh, so if it is uh, a Russian cyber attack, I mean, it's, it's a big attack. I mean, <laughs> it's a big deal. A lot of people are going to suffer from this kind of shortfall. A lot of people uh, not working in a particular day, a lot of vehicles not being built. And certainly we've uh, had an experience with not enough vehicles being built anyway. So a big problem. Well, here's another, uh, here's a company with a big problem, and that's Lordstown Motors. They are a startup uh, building vehicles in what used to be a General Motors plant in, uh, in Ohio. Their goal is to build electric pickup trucks. They had hoped to sell in their first year of production 32,000 vehicles, which is a stout number. Instead, they're saying that uh, in the, the first, uh, first year, they're liable to sell only 500, kind of a big difference. Their costs have shot up, and at the same time, their ability to produce vehicles obviously is way, way down. So you know, have to wonder if that, that puts this company that's been rumored to be on the edge anyway, uh, even closer to the edge, especially when you have major automakers like Ford and General Motors playing in the same sandbox. Uh, what's your take? on all these, and not just Lordstown, but all the startups in the pickup truck realm here that are doing EVs. Yeah, it just shows, geez, how tough it is to get started as an automaker at any point in time, especially when things are moving so quickly for legacy automakers in the EV space. So Lordstown is having problems, but you contrast that with Rivian, who you know is by all accounts meeting at least most of its its goals and its timeline. So, you know, I think that's a good contrast there. But then, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we hear that Canoe, which was another EV startup, is, is shifting some of its executives out. So who will know? I know that Lordstown wants to sell their factory that they got from General Motors to Foxconn, which uh, who makes iPhones and other other electronics. But that deal hasn't gone through and it would have helped. It would have had Foxconn making the trucks for them. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I always say more choice is better, but uh, we'll have to see how this one pans out. Yeah, it's a difficult time, and they have uh, done some executive shuffling, and uh, they're looking for additional investment. I, if you have these kind of expenses, and, and certainly, you know, running a car company, even a, a smaller quote unquote car company, is a multi-million dollar, two billion dollar kind of exercise. I don't think you can have too much money or have too much capital, and it just uh, seems like uh, when they're out there 
looking for investors and looking for uh, potential partners, it, it could be a, a very difficult time for them going forward, especially with all the competition that we note in that segment. Yeah. And as you say, every day that goes by that they don't sell a pickup truck is a day that they're just burning cash. So <laughs> it's only going to get worse as time goes on, obviously. Yeah. And uh, a lot of cash is being burned there. Uh, it's quite a, quite a furnace there in, in eastern Ohio. Well, here's the question. How far would you go to pay sticker price for a new vehicle? This uh, story revolves around a uh, consumer, just a, a guy who wanted a new F-150 Lariat pickup truck uh, and was running into uh, extra charges way over sticker price, maybe five to $8,000 in his local market. His local market w- was uh, San Diego, California. So he decided to take matters into his own hands, and he flew to Las Vegas, where he didn't necessarily win a jackpot, but he got to pay sticker price for this vehicle. I'm saying sticker, and the sticker price was kind of stiff. Here's the sticker price, Chris, $73,520 for an F-150 Lariat. He's, he's feeling like he got a great deal. That seems like an awful lot for, for that pickup truck. What's your take on the whole the whole scenario there. <laughs> well, I am vehemently opposed to paying an upcharge on a vehicle. Uh, MSRP or sticker prices is, is what I would pay, even if it is the the expensive seventy thousand plus dollar pickup truck. Uh, even if you bought that truck and had it shipped across the country, you would still come out better if you than if you had paid a five to eight thousand dollar markup. So uh, there's really no need for it. Even if you're desperate, you know, spend the time and shop around. Man, that that just just such a waste of money. Well, and the beauty of this is, uh, you know, you fly to Vegas, you could fly from San Diego to Las Vegas for probably less than a hundred bucks, go to the dealership, you know, get your, sign the papers, get your car and uh, get your F-150 pickup. And uh, you're probably back in San Diego in uh, four or five hours with having saved at least 5,000 bucks. So it makes sense to do. Uh, I think you're giving good advice there, Chris, is maybe this isn't the best time in the world to buy a new vehicle. And if you can hold off for a little while, you might be better off. But if you need to do some homework, shop around, don't just stumble into a deal or don't just uh, pay a big uh, way over sticker kind of price. I'm not necessarily against paying over sticker uh, if it's justified, sometimes it is. I'm all for uh, the laws of supply and demand. We can't uh, we can't rescind those anyway. It's kind of like gravity. Uh, but um, in this instance, uh, I think uh, you know more more power to Kevin Peters, who uh, you know found a new way to go about buying a car. Yeah, I guess I can see paying a little bit over, or you know even over for you know an in demand model collector's car, but. I worry about the people who are are getting into these deals that are, you know, as you say, five, ten, eight thousand dollars over uh, sticker, and then they go to sell the vehicle, and they're, you know, way upside down, even more so than they would have been uh, taking out an extended loan or something like that. So, uh, I mean, I think it's it's risky all the way around. Even if you plan on keeping the car for a long time, it still just doesn't doesn't really sit all that that well with me. Yeah, I get that. I I mean, uh, what if there weren't sticker prices, right? I mean, what if there wasn't a suggested retail? There isn't, of course, for used cars, and we we seem to get by okay with that. But uh, uh, it's it's kind of a different thing. I guess the sticker gives you at least some kind of uh, basis to to start start dealing, which is what I typically do. And I pretty much never want to pay sticker. I want to pay under sticker each time, and uh, I kind of enjoy the the give and take of uh, 
of negotiating with a dealer. Some people do, some people don't. Yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not a huge negotiator, but I will point out, you know, you bring up an interesting point. This is something that's happening in the the luxury watch world right now where you almost can't go buy and I'm not I don't go buy watches, but you can't go to the the jeweler and buy a Rolex now. Uh, the sellers are setting the price and the market is running away. So uh, I think it's a slippery slope, but uh, as you say, you know, it can be fun for the right person. It's okay for the right car, but I think an F-150 is not one of those cars that I would want to pay a markup on. Well, uh, there will be a lot of them, and certainly there are a lot of used F-150s out there, a lot of used pickup trucks, and uh, we'll talk a bit about one pickup truck in uh, our road test segment today, so uh, a lot to look at there. But I think people are just paying attention to the marketplace and uh, you know making some deals and, and understanding that they have power in the marketplace, uh, that'll, that'll get you through this. And uh, we hope everybody gets through this in, in fine fashion. So. And when we come back, we will be doing some road testing, won't we? Uh, Chris, you were driving the uh, Grand Cherokee L, the three-row, an exciting vehicle, fun vehicle with a great interior. And I was driving a, a vehicle with a very long name, the GMC Sierra 1500 Limited Denali. So stay with us for that, and we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Rad back with you. So glad you're listening to us. We really do appreciate you being out there and listening. And it is road test time. And boy, we have some cool vehicles. We're, we're kind of styling in a way. We had some pretty luxurious vehicles this time around. And Chris, you were in the uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee L. Describe that for our listeners, would you? It, I was surprised, Jack. I got to be honest. You know, I drove the standard uh, 2022 Grand Cherokee probably a little bit over a month ago and had not driven the L yet. And as we talk about frequently, I have two kids and now I have a new puppy uh, to haul around. And this thing, uh, just surprising all the way around. Premium feel, uh, extremely quiet, very spacious. Uh, but I'll digress and we'll get back into that stuff in just a little bit. But uh, uh, this is a 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee LS, the first three-row Grand Cherokee that Jeep has made. Uh, the starting price is around $43,500 for the Laredo trim. I tested the Summit trim, which is almost the top model. It starts at around $62,000. With options, my test model came in at just under $70,000. And part of that price is the 5.7-liter V8. Uh, it produces 357 horsepower, 390 pound-feet of torque through an eight-speed automatic transmission and available four-wheel drive as rear-wheel drive is standard. Uh, Jack, I want to get your opinion on the new Grand Cherokee in just a minute, especially uh, this V8. But what I will say is the, even the standard V6, which was in the, the first model that I tested, it's a 3.6 liter with 293 horsepower. It's plenty powerful. And uh, Jeep uses the eight-speed transmission that they've used in other vehicles. It's very smooth, very quiet. So you don't absolutely have to step up to the 5.7 liter, but it does add a lot of great power there. And Jack, what is your feeling on the the brand new 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee? Do you like it better than the outgoing model? Do you think it's more luxurious, more usable on a daily basis? What do you think? Well, I like the old one, but I think the, uh, the new one is so much better. And I, I love the three-row. Uh, it is very luxuriously equipped. I think Jeep is just you know, just kicking tail with uh, the interiors that they've been doing recently. I just think they're so upscale and good looking. I, I don't know whether they just appeal to my taste or you're finding that to be the same for you, but I just think the, that they look so level above versus some of the co competitors out there. Yeah, I will agree with that completely. You know, I, I talked about my family bought a Volvo XC90 last year. It's a T6 inscription. Uh, I thought it was one of the most gorgeous interiors I'd ever seen. 
I sat in the Jeep Grand Cherokee L and even my wife who primarily drives the Volvo sat in it and said, wow, this is one of the nicer, uh, one of the more premium feeling and more, more beautiful. I will just use the word interiors that, that is in an SUV of, of today. So the summit trim comes with perfor- perforated Napa leather. Uh, if you get the reserve package, you get quilted Palermo leather and a touchscreen built into the uh, dashboard for the passengers. Uh, didn't have that, but I will say the Napa leather seats, uh, the leather is soft. It's very rich feeling. This is a deep brown color on the inside. It was very nice. You, you mentioned wood trim. Everything is uh, contrasted colors with metal accents. It's all just very beautifully put together and very solidly constructed. So it feels like you're sitting in a bank vault almost. It's very quiet. Uh, the 5.7 liter V8, as I mentioned, it, it does make a good rumble on the outside of the, of the SUV, but when you get in, you can barely hear it. And I think that is kind of a triumph for this vehicle because that engine in Ram trucks and in other vehicles can be quite loud and rowdy inside the vehicle, which some people like, but I think a three row SUV is more of a, uh, it's definitely more of a calm sort of cruising vehicle than a, uh, than it is a muscle car. So it's good that it kind of stays out of the way. Uh, as I mentioned, it comes with four wheel drive which I got to use in the snow. It handled itself just fine. Uh, no big deal there. One thing that the L gets, especially top trims, is an adaptive air suspension system. Uh, so when you're in normal cruising mode, it sets a, a certain ride height. But when you get on the highway and you cross a certain uh, speed, it lowers itself for better aerodynamics and it handles better on the highway. So um, it's a very useful uh, suspension system. And it, it rides very smoothly, too, even here uh, after the plows have torn up our roads for the past four or five months. As I mentioned, the Summit trim, it gets LED headlights. It's got a power lift gate, all of the, the convenience and luxury features that you could ever want, including a 10.1-inch uh, touchscreen that runs uh, wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. And uh, my vehicle had the Macintosh sound system jack. I don't know if you've heard this this stereo before, but it is an extremely powerful sound system. I can remember in high school many, many years ago spending tons of money to build the ultimate stereo in my car, and I got in this Jeep, and I just had to laugh because it is so much better than all the money that I piled into that car, uh, but it's excellent all the way around it. Uh, inside, as you know, the, the, the top of the line finishes up and down. Uh, the in-cabin camera system, my five-year-old daughter loved looking at herself on the screen doing that so you could watch your kids in the back. Uh, but all around, Jack, I think they hit a home run here, and I think the price is right, too. Uh, we don't often talk about $70,000 vehicles being a, a value, but I think that this does bring enough that it justifies its price tag. Uh, and I have no problem recommending it. What do you think? I recommend it highly. And I'm just kind of surprised that I'm not seeing more of them on the road. And I guess maybe the word hasn't gotten out yet, because uh, if I were looking at a large three-row vehicle and, uh, you know, the NERAD family has had three rows forever and ever and ever, uh, I would absolutely look at the Grand Cherokee L. I think it's just terrific all the way around. Uh, you mentioned the sound system and the and the beauty of the interior. It has all the Jeep capabilities. There's, there's just so much to like about the vehicle. I, again, I'm, I'm just a little bit surprised that I'm not seeing more of them on the road yet. And it might just be an availability issue, too. Yeah, it's strange. I've seen a few of the, the regular Grand Cherokee, but no other L's on the road except for the one I've been driving. Well, it is a terrific, terrific vehicle, and uh, I endorse your endorsement of it. <laughs> a very good one. <laughs> a very good one. Well, I was driving a vehicle uh, that probably requires a little bit of explanation. It is the GMC Sierra 1500 Limited Denali. The 1500 Limited or Sierra 1500 Limited needs the explanation. Uh, this is supposed to be a short-lived model that's intended to enable GMC dealers to sell a full-size pickup truck as they 
prepare the new refreshed 2022 Sierra, uh, which is now well overdue. And uh, we know what kind of supply chain issues everybody's running into these days. And I think that has struck General Motors in this instance. So they are soldiering on with what is basically a carryover vehicle. And there's nothing wrong with the carryover vehicle, uh, as we found out when we drove all the way out to the uh, desert and back in this thing. And and, uh, you'll be pleased to hear this, Chris. Uh, During our drive out to the desert, or actually uh, more uh, specifically on our drive back from the desert, We ran into a snowstorm. We drove this thing through snow in Southern California. We were driving at some altitude. It wasn't very high altitude, probably about 1,500, 2,000 feet. Uh, But the weather uh, conspired to uh, put snow down around us. So it was kind of uh, fun to do in our 4x4 full-size pickup truck. In Denali trim, this, of course, is a very well-finished pickup truck. It doesn't, however, have as big a screen as some of the others, as, say, the Dodge Ram has, which is a bit of a shortfall. I think that will be alleviated when the new one comes around, uh, when this facelifted version. This is a vehicle with a pretty uh, stout uh, suggested retail price to begin with. In rear-drive trim, it's over $58,000, but it has a ton of stuff. Among the things are the 8-inch infotainment system, and on the, on the plus side, it has navigation and, uh, of course, the infotainment system in General Motors vehicles are generally pretty good. How would you rate this uh, infotainment system versus some of the other ones out there, Chris? It's far from the – actually, it's one of the best, I, I will say. You know, I think it's probably uh, Uconnect and Ford and then maybe GMC at the – GM and Chevy at the, at the back. Uh, but they're still better than, I think, Nissan. And I haven't had a chance to use the new uh, Toyota interface, but I've heard it's much better. Yeah, Toyota has really improved their interface a lot, but I think the GMC interface is quite good here. Uh, I think it will improve as we see the uh, the next next generation of this, or the next uh, half generation, I guess, with the refresh. But uh, I'm not reviewing the next vehicle. I'm reviewing the vehicle that I drove. It has a seven-speaker Bose premium audio system that worked uh, just great. Uh, wireless Apple CarPlay and wireless Android Auto. We like the seamlessness of that. Wireless device charging for those uh, those of you who have devices that can be charged wirelessly. My ancient iPhone does not, not enable that. This is one of the few uh, Sierras with the big 6.2 liter V8 engine. It did not, however, have cylinder deactivation. And I think that's due to the chip shortage. It has a 10-speed automatic transmission. Ours was an all-wheel drive vehicle. We didn't uh, spend a lot of time in all-wheel drive on our on our drive, but we did revel in the luxury of this vehicle. I mean, these pickup trucks are big. <laughs> the interior is very very big, and and very roomy, and we were able to put our all our luggage inside and not use the pickup truck bed at all, which has a a carbon floor to it, which is is pretty cool. There's a, a huge amount of uh, luggage space, um, and uh, towing is good too. It will tow up to eleven thousand pounds, so this is certainly a vehicle to to have a look at here. A lot of reasons to to like it, and and maybe some reasons. Uh, I was a bit disappointed, and I I want your take on this too. They keep a lot of the um, advanced driver assistance features for the higher trims. And, uh, you know, I'd like to see more of that stuff standard. What's your take on that, Chris? I agree. When you can go buy a Toyota Corolla that has 
forward collision warnings and adaptive cruise control for like $19,000 or, or whatever the base price is. You know, I think that it's it's a little silly to have a $70,000 plus vehicle that you have to spend more to get the the safety features for. Uh, and if not, at least make them optional for the lower trims. I know that General Motors does that too, where uh, you have to move up at least a trim level or two to even be able to pay the, the extra to get the, the safety features. So I'd like to see them trickle down to the more quote-unquote pedestrian models if, if such a thing exists in today's truck world. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure they do because, you know, you're talking about a vehicle uh, with a sticker price of, uh, you know, I think north of $70,000. This one had a sticker price well north of uh, 70, $70,000 as well, $72,000. I like the Sierra 1500 Limited Denali a lot. I would uh, encourage others, though, to shop around in this segment because I think uh, there's a lot of good pickup trucks out there and uh, a, a lot of reasons, I think, to shop across the brands. I agree. Well, when we come back... Uh, we will be doing an interview with uh, Steve Kosowski. He is the manager of long-range strategy and planning at Kia America, and they have launched on a new electric vehicle initiative that I think will be very interesting uh, to talk about. So we'll chat with him when we come back. Stay with us for that. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road, Jack with you and we have a terrific guest for you a really interesting guy i've had a chance to speak with him even before we went on the air so i can attest to the fact he's an interesting guy his name is steve kasowski he is manager of long-range strategy and planning for kia america and uh, number one steve thanks so much for being with us you're welcome jack thanks for the opportunity we are driving and have been driving and we'll drive again the kia ev6 you're an expert on that. You've been with that project for, I think, six or seven years, something like that. Uh, give our listeners an overall sense of what this vehicle is before we dive in any deeper. So the, the EV6 is Kia's first dedicated EV in the U.S. market. It's actually the third EV that we've launched into the U.S. market. We had the Soul EV in October of 2014. Uh, we had the Nero EV in um, March of 2019, and then this would be the third EV. But what's different about the EV6, Jack, is that it's it's built on a dedicated EV platform, which means there's no gasoline engine, there's no plug-in hybrid, there's no internal combustion variant, which gives our engineers and designers and, and product development folks uh, a clean sheet to work with. So what's great about this car is it runs 300 miles plus it's actually 310 miles in, in the longest configuration uh, there's all-wheel drive uh, and it's got a lot of uh, it's got a great combination of attributes from various different types of cars so it has some crossoverness it has some suv-ness it has some uh, sedan elements and we think it is a very unique proposition in the market that is that is growing, the appetite for EVs is growing, and we feel this vehicle has the right attributes, the range, the design, the tech, the performance that folks really uh, want right now. Well, one of the things I found interesting a bit about this vehicle in the descriptions today was the fact that uh, it's not identified as a particular type of vehicle. I mean, we're usually hearing, oh, this is a subcompact crossover or something like that. But 
there is no, I think, particular segment in which the EV6 lives. And, and talk a bit about that and, and what people should know to yeah. put it in context. Jack, that's a, a, a good observation. Um, and there's a little history behind that. If you think about the Soul, when the Soul was launched, it was in a similar vein. Well, what is that? Is it an SUV? Is it a crossover? What, what is it? And you know, I think at the time we, we probably p presented it like, well, this is just a really cool, fun, functional, affordable, uh, expressive um, vehicle for you. you and it's you, still kind of a class of one. Yes. And, and it's <laughs> yes. survived that way and done very well that way, I think. In, in the case of the EV6, um, you know, it, there's, there's lots of ways to look at the marketplace. You know, you can, you can start to bucket things into SUVs or crossovers or sedans, kind of a traditional way. Uh, when we approached this project, um, the idea was, uh, you know, we, we would like some SUV-ness, some CUV-ness, uh, and that's how you get the uh, higher ground clearance and the hip point, you know, where you actually sit in the car. So that's good for visibility. It's good for ingress, egress. Um, or getting it, in and out of the vehicle. Getting in and out of the vehicle. Right. Um, there's a hatchback form, so that's good for utility and function. You can carry your bike and golf clubs and stuff that fits your lifestyle. But as you start to talk with customers and you look at the marketplace and you figure out what they really value, what they want is range. And um, so you, re what we really tried to do is balance this CUV-ness, this crossoverness, with the uh, uh, practical, uh, physical uh, principles that enable the range. Because right? there are trade-offs there, that right? If you went more SUV-like and had larger carrying capacity and, and you know bigger wheels and tires and higher ground clearance, less aerodynamic that's going to cost you in range, that's right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right, Jack. And so what the counterbalance that you need to put bigger and bigger batteries in and so on and so forth, and that adds weight and that adds cost, and then you've crept away from your original um, um, thesis. So we, we, uh, we've looked at this market and we've figured out what these folks want, um, and, and all of this is wrapped together in this bold, expressive exterior design theme. Um, it has the functional attributes we think of, of um, uh, you call them uh, subcompact crossovers. That's the hip point and the functionality. And then the range that our customers really and the market really wants. Yeah. yeah. So you have the high seating position that you'd have in a crossover mm -hmm. and gives you great outlook over the road, all mm -hmm. of that, all mm -hmm. of that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Easy to get in and out of mm -hmm. why crossovers basically have become the de facto car, right? Yeah, I mean, the, right. the standard of standard of excellence out there. Uh, to uh, steal a phrase from Cadillac, <laughs> um, and at the same time, then you have other attributes in this vehicle that uh, are are way different. You have this long wheelbase, for example. Right. I mean, a, an exceptionally long wheelbase for the length of the vehicle, for That's example. Right. Right, Jack. In fact, it's interesting. It's like you read my mind because. Um, the ratio on that wheelbase to overall length at 114.2 um, is about, yeah, so it's about 62%. And that's a very high wheelbase to overall length ratio. You'll see that on a lot of front engine rear drive cars and that kind of thing. Right. And what that gets us is, uh, it, firstly, it gets a, a wonderful proportion. The designers love that. Absolutely. Right. And then, yeah. and then you get this long, you get this uh, generous rear seat package. So lots of second row space. It's good for pitch stability and it's good for high, high speed stability. So there's a lot of, there, there's a, there's a lot of uh, good attributes that come from this really long wheelbase within the compact 
uh, exterior shadow of the car. Yeah, I mean, to, uh, when you get into this vehicle, it doesn't seem all that big from the outside. It seems not small and not large, uh, I, I would say, kind of mid-size. Mm -hmm. But then you get in and there's a huge amount of interior space. And I think some of that, maybe a significant portion, is because it has a long wheelbase. There's other attributes too. This is a dedicated platform for EVs. T talk a bit about interior space and, and what you get from the EV yeah. platform. So that's another really important point. We talked about the dedicated architecture, right? So um, the, the platform and the interior space and, and everything about the car is designed around the battery. And imagine the battery being the size of a queen size mattress, but it's flat and um, you have to fit that within the wheelbase of the car. That's another reason why the wheelbase is so long because it needs to accommodate this big, um, this big battery case. But uh, another benefit is you get this flat floor. So as you're sitting in the car jack on the inside, um, you know, the front space is flat. We have a little console down there. You can put stuff in it, um, but it's flat. And then the second row space is the same way. It's, it's completely flat back there because, you know, literally what's under that floor is the battery pack, which is a, a flat case. And so you have, a, we think about this as having a, a class up interior size uh, relative to the overall length. Overall length, yeah. It, it's, you know, it's like having a K5 interior in the space of a Forte. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, makes all the sense in the world. Well, as long as we're talking about uh, a bit about interior, let's talk more about the interior. I mean, certainly the instrumentation, that whole thing is maybe the most dramatic portion of the interior. Let's start there. I'm glad you noticed that. Um, we're very proud of the, we call it a 24 inch panoramic display, uh, which really is two 12.3, 12.3 uh, horizontal screens that are coupled together in a, in a very nice presentation. Um, you know, and the industry has has uh, tried screen um, layouts in different, be a tablet or horizontal and things like that, and you know, various brands. Have but when we uh, propose this to our customers, um, they really like the horizontal display. Um, it's not obtrusive, but yet it's quite functional. So, so firstly, that that layout is very very well liked. The second part of it is that we have a, I think, a very a nice balance of buttons and touch sense switches. So there's a, there's a lot of debate, you know, no buttons, right. no switches and things like that. But look, when we talk with our customers, they like a volume knob and they- Boy, like, do they. Right? <laughs> Absolutely yeah. Yeah. they and do. And I'm, I'm one of them. I yeah. mean, it's something that you reach for. That's right, that's right. So in, in the case of the EV6, you literally can control, obviously from the steering wheel, but you can reach over and turn the knob and you can, you can also uh, change the uh, temperature as well. So with the same knob, talk yeah. a bit about that. Yeah, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So there's, there's a panel, uh, a little console uh, that's, that's wide and thin, that's on the lower part of the instrument panel that you toggle between the HVAC uh, air conditioning and interior uh, temperature controls, and the audio and the navi and so forth, and we think it's it's pretty novel in a sense that you have you have everything you need in one um, tidy little space, and if you're in HVAC, you can control the fan and the temperature yeah. and, and driver heating, only. ventilation, heating. and air conditioning. Thank you, thank you, HVAC, thank yes. you. Uh, and then you can toggle back to audio or nav or what have you, and it's it's all um, in one tidy little space. We think it's very clean, but yet very functional. Yeah. Let's dive into a powertrain. Uh, interesting powertrains, not just one, actually, but a, a combination of things. Uh, give our listeners the, the lowdown. Yeah, so there's uh, basically three different configurations for the powertrain. The, um, the light version of the car, that's the entry-level car. 
Uh, it starts at 40900 And that's a trim level. That's it's a trim no, level. Yeah, that's it's right. not LIT like a beer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the, the, uh, that car is powered by a 58-kilowatt-hour battery, um, state-of-the-art lithium-ion polymer cells uh, from SK Innovation. And uh, it's rear-drive only. And then the next level up is uh, the trim level is wind, um, like gone with the wind. And that car is powered by a 77.4 kilowatt hour, same chemistry, same cells, but it's just a much bigger pack. Uh, packaged under the floor, you would know it was there if I didn't tell you. Uh, and then that car is available in rear drive and all wheel drive. And so those are the, ba the, the three basic configurations. Now, the motors, Jack, I mentioned earlier in our discussion, we had the Soul EV and the Neuro EV, and now this is the third generation Kia EV. All those motors are designed and engineered in-house, um, and we like that because we, we can define the, the tuning and the performance and the efficiency and, and how we want it to feel, the, the uh, NVH, the noise, vibration, and harshness characteristics, and so forth. Uh, but they're, they're getting more and more powerful and more and more efficient with each subsequent generation, and this one is quite powerful and quite efficient, and we're really proud of that. In the case of, of the uh, rear-drive car, that motor produces 225 horsepower with the 77.4 kilo, uh, kilowatt-hour battery, and then when you get all-wheel drive, you get a 70-kilowatt uh, front motor, which is, uh, what, about 100 and 120 horsepower in the front. And uh, it's the same design in terms of the, uh, it uses square wire. We can get into the, the. Yeah, I was fascinated by the fact that square wire makes it more efficient than yeah. using round wire. Yeah, that's a very important point. And so a lot of electric, electrified cars, hybrid and plug-in and so forth, they used to use round copper wire. It could be a, a couple mils in diameter. But uh, the the intent of the engineers is to pack as many windings in that space as possible and you know a square is a more efficient space so like if you look at a truck going down the street it's it's rectangular, yeah, right yeah you pack something with boxes I, you don't pack it with round things exactly right? so the square wire allows us to cram more copper windings within a given space so it makes our um our ac synchronous permanent magnet motor uh, very efficient, very powerful, very torque-rich, and in a very tidy package. And the other part, too, Jack, is that a lot of companies in the industry will use induction motors, which have a different feel and a different, they operate differently. And the engineers are going through the program, they're looking at various different kinds of motors, different applications, different motor designs, but they landed on the AC synchronous a permanent magnet motor for the front and the rear uh, both with you know both motors have square wire and oil cooling and this is done for efficiency is done for packaging is done for control uh, uh, an ac induction motor can be a little more tricky to control on acceleration and deceleration and it's a little it could be a little bit bigger in some cases a little less efficient so yeah we're, we're quite happy with the performance of the car uh, in rear drive uh, and all the all-wheel drive car is incredible um, we really got to hand it to the engineers who put that package together well it's a car you have to see and also you have to drive to really understand and i encourage people to do that they're going to be in kia dealers across the country uh, in a matter of weeks so look for that steve kasowski thanks so much for being with us your manager of course of long range strategy and planning at kia america thanks so much for being with us we appreciate it what a great talk you're welcome jack thanks for the opportunity and stay with us everybody Everybody, we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Christine Jackie Redback with you for our final segment of this week. See, the time goes so fast. 
uh, when I'm talking with Chris Teague about cars and that kind of stuff. Uh, We love to take your listener questions, and uh, it's easy to reach us with a listener question by sending them to editor at drivingtoday.com. So we'd love to hear from you. Here is a question from Ray. Ray lives in Hodgkins, Illinois, and here's what he says. I'm looking at at a full-size pickup truck. I've always liked Chevy trucks, but my neighbor down the street says that Ram pickups are the best. What do you guys think? Well, we just got done talking about a great pickup truck and how strong the competition is. I would agree that Ram is one of the best. Uh, I think that Ford has done an incredible job with the most recent updates to the F-150, especially with the Power Boost Hybrid powertrain. It gets great fuel economy, offers strong towing. Uh, and the interiors of the new Ford trucks are incredible. They're almost as good, if not as good as the Rams, which were the best when they debuted in uh, 2019. Uh, I would say that the Chevy, you know, we could, we could talk on and on about how great new pickup trucks are. You know, Chevy just updated the, the Silverado with a great interior as well. But I still think it's either going to be Ford or Ram for me, Jack. I don't know how you feel about full-size pickups, but it's going to be either the 1500, the Ram 1500, or the F-150 for me. Yeah, I think I'm right with you there, and uh, I would lean toward the Ram still, uh, just for, for overall ride quality. Uh, there's a, a actually a Ram pickup truck in my driveway right now uh, that I had uh, almost back-to-back with, the, I guess did have it back-to-back with the GMC Sierra that we talked about earlier in this show. And I had just liked the interiors, and I liked the ride quality. Uh, I've always been a Chevy fan, uh, this... Uh, our family has had a Chevy Tahoe forever and ever, and it has been uh, just an absolute uh, boon to us, a, a great family vehicle forever and ever. But uh, just seeing what uh, Ram is offering these days, uh, Ford certainly uh, has been a dominant force in this market for a long time too, but I, I kind of lean toward the Ram in this instance. I'm okay with that. It does have great ride quality. And Ray, I think you probably are well advised to take a look at the Ram pickup truck. Uh, and compare it to that Chevy truck that you've always liked and uh, see how you do. And I guess that's our show for this week. Uh, thanks to Chris Teague for uh, speaking with us as usual uh, each week. It's it's always a blast to talk to you, Chris. Thank you so much for having me, Jack. And thanks, everybody, for listening. I will say if you like what you heard and you want to listen to us, uh, take us wherever you go. Head to sportsmapradio.com and check the Saturday schedule there. You can find our Apple podcast as well as an adapted radio version of our podcast. Yes, and thanks so much to all the SportsMap Radio Network stations that carry America on the road. We do appreciate that. And uh, most of all, thanks for listening to America on the Road. We love having you with us. You're the reason we do what we do, and we look forward to speaking with you again next week right here on America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new car, a used car, just care about cars, go to DrivingToday.com. DrivingToday.com is the official automotive website of America on the Road. That's DrivingToday.com.